you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Coming up next on Huddle and Flow. And that's why I came back for the ninth season, knowing from the very beginning that it was going to be my last. But even during that season, I was there's games where I was just like, it's never before that 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 lad that final season where I was like at, out there pregame stretching getting warmed up like I shouldn't be out here <laughs> like I'm not feeling it like I am not feeling it and there's a couple of games like that and that wasn't all games there's a couple of games like that where it just couldn't get the body just to feeling right like it would like it usually does before the game and it was just I just just it's 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 not demoralizing but it's just you know that you know like, <clears throat> what I told myself at the very beginning was that when I can't put that same product out there, I'm done. That's next on Huddle and Flow. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to the latest edition of the Huddle and Flow podcast presented by Intuit, the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. I am Steve Weich. I'm here with my guy, Jim Trotter, and our producer, Thomas Warren, on the ones and twos. Gentlemen, we got that great new sponsorship from Intuit here to go along for the ride. And man, do we have plenty of things on our mind today. Jim, we're coming here after after divisional round weekend. We got a lot of coaching turnover, general manager turnover. And Jim, we got a special guest coming on the show today. We got the Megatron, Calvin Johnson. Didn't say much, doesn't do many interviews, but like Notorious Big, he's got a story to tell because he serves it up. You will not want to miss Calvin Johnson. He's coming up in just a few minutes. Yeah, Steve, he was uh... – he was straightforward and frank and the things he had to say, you know, and that's the one thing I appreciate appreciate about any guest is that you ask him a question, you get a straight answer. And we got that from Calvin. So uh, I think he's a fascinating figure for so many reasons, you know, walking away from the game when he did 
at the top of his profession. Um, you know, the battle he had with the organization after leaving his candidacy for the Hall of Fame, all those sorts of things. So I, um, this was one interview I was definitely looking forward to. Good. And one of the reasons why we had him on at this time is because you, one of the 48 Hall of Fame selectors, will be actually doing the virtual voting um, this week for the class of 2021. Of course, Calvin Johnson, one of the first ballot Hall of Fame finalists. And those will be announced the day before Super Bowl 55 at NFL Honor. So we'll all have to sit and wait. But, Jim, um, interesting. So now we have. The Packers versus the Buccaneers in Green Bay next week. And then the Bills against the Kansas City Chiefs. Great quarterbacks, a lot of intrigue. We can finesse all this a little bit later on. We come back next week about Patrick Mahomes' status and everything. But I think what we want to talk about with all this coaching turnover conversation um, that, you know, I wish I wish that people could really see us because a whole lot of lips have been moving and a whole lot of stuff really hasn't come out, Okay. It does not look like a black coach is going to get hired. Maybe Eric Bieniemy, who's still coaching with the Chiefs, gets an opportunity. But right now, Philadelphia and Houston look like the only opportunities, and we're just not sure anything is going to happen there. Um, the only diverse hire looks like it's going to be Robert Sala, who got the Jets job. So we know the NFL is pushing this. We are not hanging this on the NFL. We cannot hang it on 345. But these owners, Jim, we've been talking about it. And like I said, the – Everything that they've said and done has been as hollow as an Easter bunny. Yeah, I'm I'm worn out from it, Steve. I think you can tell by my voice I'm exhausted. Um, look, <laughs> we are not going to have potentially one black hired as a head coach among seven openings this year, despite all of the focus on it. And unlike you, I, you know, I believe the B enemy is going to get shut out. I believe it. if one black coach is going to be hired this year, I believe it will be Leslie Frazier in Houston um, for a number of reasons. But the fact that Eric B enemy could be shut out again. And, and I'm not saying I, I want to be clear on this. I am not saying that Eric B enemy is going to be a great head coach. You have no way of knowing until someone gets Correct. in that, that position. What I am saying is that Based on his service, he has earned the opportunity to have a shot to be a head coach. And then he can succeed or fail based on the merits. But the fact that he can't even get that opportunity is truly disturbing to me. And look, I'm not here to dump on anyone else who was hired or whatnot. Every owner has to make his own decision. Um, some of these guys may wind up being wildly successful as head coaches. But again, the fact that you can tell me now that there were seven openings this year, head coach openings. And to this point of the first five that have been filled, not uh, one person, not one black among those five, it, it's disappointing. And not just to me or you, Steve, it's the coaches who are calling us. Correct. Correct. You know, that's where my frustration comes from. When you hear in their voices, how they feel like that this playing field isn't level and they have no real opportunity, no matter what they do. And I truly don't have an answer for him at this point. I really don't. Well, Jim, here's here, here's going to be the biggest example of how this whole process is some bullshit. Next week in the conference championships, we are going to have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers with Brian Leffert and Todd Bowles, offensive and defensive coordinator for the Buccaneers, um, as well as their special teams coordinator, Keith Alexander, another black man. Okay. Then you have the Green Bay Packers, no coordinators of color. In the AFC, Leslie Frazier, the Bills' defensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, the Chiefs' offensive coordinator. We can talk 
about all of that, all we want. Is it really going to make make a damn difference? Is it going to mean anything to these owners who, again, have shown us nothing but to be as hollow as a chocolate Easter bunny? And let's let's be real as a white chocolate Easter bunny, because nobody's really putting anything. Behind, oh, yeah, well, this guy interviewed well, this and that, because not Eric Bieniemy, Jim. If he does not get an offer, I'm with you. I don't, I don't think he's going to get a job. And I don't know if Houston comes open, if he's going to want to take it. Right. But if it's a situation now where people can be like, dang, he's had so many interviews, there must be something going on with him as to why he's not getting hired. Because we know that excuse happens to a lot of people like, man, a lot of people talk to him. Why is he getting hired? That's going to spread through the grapevine. And Eric may never get a chance. And that's it's just it's just so unfortunate. Um, Again, people get, get to hire who they want to hire. But if you're talking about merit, whether it's Eric Bennett, whether it's Leslie Frazier, whether it's Jim Caldwell, we see exactly what's happening here. Now, we are going to see at least two black general managers get hired. Brad Holmes, um, who is the director of college scouting for the Rams, is going to be in Detroit, who is expected to name Saints uh, assistant head coach Dan Campbell as their HC. And Terry Fontenot from the Saints, who's done a great job, is going to be the general manager for the Atlanta Falcons with Arthur Smith. Um, what's interesting about a lot of these coaching GM hires, Jim, is like the GM isn't going to really get to pick the coach. Like these, this yeah. interview process, the coaches, it was going on simultaneously. And sometimes the coaches got hired before the GM. Look, see, here's what really bothers me is that, and I said this, um, each of the last two years, my fear was always that you'll remember when Sean McVay got hired and the, all, all the buzz was every team is looking for the next Sean McVay. Yep. The next young, offensive, you know, wonder kind, yada, yada, yada. And there weren't many minorities on that side of the ball, on the offensive side in terms of coordinators and whatnot. And I said at the time, here's my fear. Blacks are now going to rush over to the offensive side of the ball to try and get in that quote-unquote pipeline, and then the target was going to be moved. And we're seeing that come to fruition this year. Because what am I hearing from some owners? They're looking for the young wonder kind coach now who doesn't matter now offense or defense just a guy that they think can be special as a coach and so now in addition to having to deal with the race issue the age issue is starting to come into play because my my feeling is now a lot of guys who have paid their dues who have done it the right way who have served their time aren't going to get opportunities because clubs are looking for that next young guy who they say hey, we'd rather get him a year early or two years early. That way we don't have to compete with other clubs for him. It's the same thing we heard in Cincinnati with Zach Taylor. And to some degree, it's the same thing we're hearing now with Brandon Staley. Here's the other thing that bothers me right now. And 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 I guess I'm going to air some dirty laundry, house laundry here that, that you know, we try not to talk about publicly because we have enough people beating up on minority coaches. But at this point now, we have four minority head coaches in the NFL, Brian Flores, Ron Rivera, Mike Tomlin, and Robert Sala. And as I look at their staffs right now, their offensive and defensive coordinators, you know how many people of color I see in those positions? Tell it, Jim. Tell it. Zero. Zero. Now, that's not to say that those who have openings uh, cannot fill them with a diverse candidate, but for now, there are zero. And it's starting to get under my skin that you and I and others can be out here fighting for representation of diverse candidates. And yet when we, diverse candidates, get in a position to do something about it, we don't. 
That bothers me. It bothers me a lot because I can't go banging on owners or anyone else if we're not going to hold ourselves to the same standard and we're not doing that. So I say to Mike Tomlin, I say to Ron Rivera, I say to Brian Flores, and I say to Robert Sala, it's time for us to step up. And if we keep preaching as, as these head coaches did when they were coordinators, that they were qualified to be head coaches, well then damn it, these diverse candidates out here now are qualified to be coordinators so why aren't they getting that opportunity? That's right. We got OC openings in Pittsburgh and in Miami. Hey, there's plenty of good – I mean, Anthony Lynn, Pep Hamilton. There's all kind. maybe Eric Bien. I mean, who knows? I mean, somebody, somebody – tell me. I'm still waiting on somebody to tell me what Zach Taylor did that Pep Hamilton has not done. Somebody tell me that. That's it. That's Come it. Come on now. Come on, but let's Jim, be real about all this. But Jim, look, look, look at look at this. All it takes, the, like the goalposts continue to get. Oh, Eric doesn't call plays. Blah blah blah. All it takes is one phone call for Bill Belichick to recommend Joe Judge in the Giants hire. Right, and all of a so sudden we, we went from wanting the young offensive mastermind to wanting the CEO type. Correct. Oh, you both wear khakis, so you have something in common. I mean, take that stuff someplace, okay? Yep. It's yep. just it, it's old. It's old. It's exhausting, and it is, and I'm, I'm going to use a word that's not I realize doesn't belong here. It's unfair because I understand that the NFL is not a fair business. No one ever said it was fair, but it's just wrong. It's wrong that these men don't have the same opportunities as others. They're not looking for anything special. They're just looking for the same opportunities that men who don't look like them have. Yep, and look, Jim, I know we're tired. We're angry, but it is what it is. And again, it is and, and people, as pissed as Jim and I are about this stuff, you should hear these coaches who call us. You should hear these former coaches and players who call us. And these personnel people are like, well, you know, Jim, they ain't even getting a mule, let alone the 40 acres. Let's no, keep it 100%. No question. But here's the other thing. When we talk about moving the target and whatnot and obstacles being put in front of us, so here's the next thing that's coming. Be prepared for this now. So a guy like Pep Hamilton, who has been an offensive coordinator in this league, who Andrew Luck had his best career season under, who Justin Herbert just had a record-setting rookie season under, all of those things, a guy who has been a head coach in the XFL, head coach in GM, a guy who was at Stanford with Jim Harbaugh and at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, called plays there and whatnot. So... Now when teams interview them, it's like, oh, you're really well qualified. We're <laughs> afraid if we bring you in, you're going to get head coaching opportunities in a year, and then we're going to lose you and have to replace you. So now you're being penalized for being qualified. I'm like, this, this, when I say the game is rigged, that's why I say the game it's is rigged. rigged. Because it's no matter rigged. what you do, there is always something else out there that says, you know what? I got to use this against you. Give me a break. It's rigged. Andy Reid can churn him. He can kick him out. Matt Nagy, John Harbaugh, you know, Frank Reich, all, all these guys. But nope, when it comes to Eric, nope. It's uh, look, man, we aren't going to, we aren't going to let up. We aren't going to let up. And Jim, I'm sure our network is going to have us on air this week to talk about how unfair it is that these black coaches, I mean, let's go ahead and telegraph that pass too. Okay, let's let's put it out there for the safety to jump because that's going to happen. And frankly, 
book the owners, man. <laughs> book the owner. We don't make the decisions. Book the owner. Ask them. Anyway, anyway, we're gonna we're gonna bring in and again the timing of this interview. It may seem odd again off off of the conference championships coming up, the coaching hires, but we had an opportunity to speak to someone who really doesn't speak much, and that is Calvin Johnson. Uh, who is a first ballot Hall of Fame finalist. He gave us plenty of his time. And so, Jim, right now, let's bring in Megatron. All right, Jim, this is one we've been looking forward to for a long time. We are now joined by Calvin Johnson, a.k.a. Megatron. Calvin, welcome to the Hall & Flow podcast. Gentlemen, thanks for having me. Great to be here, man. Hey, and I got to ask you this, man. Do you, do you ever just say, like, uh, my name is Tron, Megatron, Calvin, <laughs> my friends call me Megatron? <laughs> man, don't like, look at me, you might slap me on my head if I said that. <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> I always wonder, though, if you like that nickname, because players get nicknames put on them. Was right. there something else you would have preferred, or, or did you just decide, this is cool? You know, in college, they call me like Spider-Man and stuff like that. You know, I guess just grabbing stuff. But uh, Megatron works. Like I said, at first, it's the bad guy. And I'm like, I'm not the bad guy. But like I said, I can be the bad guy. I can be the bad guy to the defense. I can do that all day. And you were. I, and you were. <laughs> Without question, you were. So, Calvin, look, we, we know you don't do a lot publicly in terms of interviews and that sort of thing. What have you been up to? Yeah, man. Ever since you know I retired, put my business hat on, um, started in real estate. I had my, I got my, uh, I guess I got uh, my feet wet a little bit in real estate while I was playing. You know, I was renting out a property that I used to stay at here in Michigan. So, you know, seeing my granddad, you know, he had a little portfolio. I was like, okay, let me just build up a little portfolio of real estate pro- properties that I'm renting out, build some passive income. Uh, fortunately, got um, some properties that were located in quote unquote the uh, green zone, uh, where you can actually cultivate. Uh, uh, cannabis do uh, retail or have just some kind of a, a, a business related around cannabis. And uh, we, we thought myself and my partner, uh, my partner, Rob of uh, Sims, he played with me in Detroit for a handful of years. Uh, you know, we thought, hey, we got a passion behind this. You know, it helped us while we played. You know, we, we really have a passion because, you know, Flex is a, whole, a holistic way of healing. You know, we can either, you know, hire out a team to come work on our property, you know, and just be the landlord or we could build a team. And we felt like, you know, us, you know, being in a team sport our whole our whole life that we we had to the what the know how to build a great team, and that's what we proceeded to do. And you know, we've been operating there for a year, a year after uh, a year last January, last December, so a year and some change now. But but in this field, I think it's interesting because a lot of athletes, you know, we're seeing Al Harrington and Mike Tyson, and, and a lot of people get into this industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else did you? you have to learn because, you know, because people hear about cannabis industry. So they, they just think about, okay, we're going to go roll up some ganja and feel better about ourselves. But it seems like I mean, it, it is an enterprise now. I mean, what yeah. did you have to go through and, and how much do you think your celebrity, so to speak, helped you get things along? I definitely 100% believe that our celebrity, um, being a local celebrity here in Michigan, helped open up some doors as far as when you're walking in dispensaries or you're meeting different um, people involved in the industry. You know, it's easy for you to get into those meetings, say, other than just, a, you know, just, a, a, you know, Joe off the street, you know, trying to get a meeting with a with a with a president CEO of a uh, of, of a of a cannabis brand. Um, 
that 100% helped us, uh, like I said, get into the door. And obviously our platform created uh, through the NFL, obviously that helped us, you know, do some funding and, and get our business open and running. But more than anything, you, people got to realize this, this, this is just a business, you know, same as any other business. You know, you got to have a great culture. Um, you got to have a great foundation and um, set of core values if you're going to have success in dealing with the people um and, and the people part of this business you know it's really the people that help your business run you know um you know as well as us learning you know it's, it's not and it ain't it ain't sure it ain't been easy you know it's been a bumpy road you know to get this thing up and running but you know we're on the up and up and you know it's just been success after success and we view obstacles as just opportunities so you know um we're able to just constantly excel you know there are people who think guys are out there just getting high to get high but this game that you played takes such a toll on players physically and whatnot. How much does cannabis truly help players cope with not only some of the physical stresses, but just the mental stresses as well in terms of what you go through being an NFL player? I mean, it's so much you get into. You know, we all think football is like everything below the shoulders. You know, how do you take care of your body? Obviously the pain, but then obviously there's a, you know, there's a mental uh, aspect to this thing too. You know, and, and, and how, how do we take care of our, our, our mental function? You know, uh, how do we take care of everything above the shoulders as well? You know, I mean, we say it's a 90% um, 10 game, 90-10 game, 90% mental, um, 10% physical game. But it's not really treated that way. You know, we don't really take care of the mental, mental, you know, mental, uh, not just mental, mental disability, but, you know, uh, mental impairment or concussions or those things of, of that sort. You know, it's kind of it's kind of like taboo. You know, it's kind of things that, you know, just weren't, weren't really, really uh, talked about. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it cannabis allows, I mean, it heals the whole body, obviously the pain and obviously the neurological side of it as well. And to that point, you know, we have a partnership with Dana Farber up there in Harvard, and that's to do uh, further research uh, down the line of, you know, the, the, the abilities and cap the capabilities of, uh, of, 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 the, of the plant. You know, Calvin, you never showed up on an injury report with a concussion. How many did you have? Man, you ask any football player how many concussions they have, I I'm doubt they're going to give you an accurate answer. But, yeah, I mean, concussions from hitting my head on the ground after diving for balls. You know, a lot of those things ain't going to get documented. I'm not going to go to the, set the sideline and say, oh, I got a concussion on this plate. No. You know, just like the, what I was just talking about kind of was like we're, we're built – you know, the way we came up was just like brute force, you know, just forget about the pain. Don't worry about your feelings. Just go and play and get your job done. You know, that's how we came up. But knowing what you know, I mean, from like you talk about the Harvard research study, you know, seeing teammates, whoever kind of kind of dealing with this. What about the league's recent stance to take a step back from remember before, if you failed the drug test, you faced all these penalties. It was the the, the limits for, for failing a drug test were, were very little. And now they've They've really relaxed a lot of the regulations, so it's not seen as something sinister or criminal anymore. Um, I mean, that's 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 probably a good thing. You know, the way the, the I guess the snowball effect that's that's taken over the U.S. with how states are, are rolling out legislation to approve some kind of some form of medical uh, marijuana. You know, so um, I think that every uh, around the nation, we're seeing the the healing properties. People are actually broadcasting you know how this is helping them you know and, and and the education piece of it isn't there and that's really what my company what we were, we were here to do to bring the professionalism to the industry to educate you know as well as provide um for those who yeah those that want to just have fun recreationally but those who need it 
You know, Calvin, I want to get into some football with you, and I know our audience um, knows who you are and what you did, but just in case, let me give them a little background, a little flavor before we get into it. So you played from 2007 to 2015, 135 games, 731 catches, 11,619 yards, NFL record with 1964 yards in 2012. 83 touchdowns, six Pro Bowls, three-time first-team All-Pro. Let me give you a couple other things here. Six seasons in the top 10 in yards, four seasons in the top 10 in touchdowns, five seasons in the top 10 in yards per receptions, two seasons in the top 10 in receptions, two seasons as the NFL leader in receiving yards, and one season as the NFL leader in receiving touchdowns. But here's what really stands out to me. During the nine seasons that you played, during that during those nine seasons, you ranked first in receiving yards, receiving TDs, receiving yards per game, 25 plus yard receptions, 100 plus or 100 yard receiving games with 46, which is insane. It's insane. You let them with 200 yard receiving games. You had five and you let everyone with multi receiving touchdown games with 17. So for those who might have forgotten just how dominant you were, now they know where the Megatron comes from. You remember what you accomplished on that field during that time? Oh man, that was that's I didn't like to say you've named off like like four or five like whoa okay I didn't never have heard that stuff. <laughs> I feel like new stats pop up all the time, you know. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome, you know, just to sit back and listen and hear. You know, some of the things that were accomplished, man, just think about I sit and have the opportunity to reminisce with Rob, my own teammate, because, you know, we work together and we're able to sit back all the time. Just like, you remember that? Yeah, man. That, That's pretty cool. What is it like to be on that field when you cannot be stopped? I mean, I can go and read to you quotes from players who had to defend you. And, and the, the, part, the one that's best for me is when they talk about how they had to treat you like a gunner on a punt. Um, coverage, right? Put two guys in front of you just to keep you from getting off the line. What was it like to be on a field where you had to think in your mind, there isn't anybody that can match up with me? Is that how you felt? Yeah, you know, I'll sit there and watch film every week, and I was just like, man, I'm looking across the field. And I'm like, man, well, I wish I could get, I wish he would play five yards off of me. You know, I wish I would get one on one. You know, I wish I would get some of these things, man. But hey, I was like, hey, I Man, I wish you'd just throw it up to me too when they playing me like that, so we can show that they just can't do nothing about it. <laughs> you know, we had Charles Woodson, who, uh, just like you, is a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, first ballot finalist, and we we talked about you, Tory Holt, and Reggie Wayne, the three wide receivers who are finalists at the Pro Football Hall of Fame. He's like, you all gr- were great, but just the fact that you were six four. 236. I know you like to say 235 when you play. <laughs> <laughs> you were 240. I mean, but he was just like that size. There was nothing you could do about it. I mean, did you ever feel like, man, this guy's got me, you know, they're they're pinballing me down the field, whatever, but they're just too small. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there are guys that I mean, as I mean, really when I got to lead, I mean, you start to see the, the large cornerback, you know, but and thing with large cornerbacks, like, can he move though? Can he move his feet? You know, can he get in and out of the breaks and stuff like that? You know, and I, I tell you, the, the most difficulty I had was early in my career. 
And when I was like going against, um, you know, uh, Al Harris, you know, Green Bay, and I, I was a rookie, but you know, you know, Roy Williams, all the receivers in Detroit, they hated playing against him because you know he's aggressive, he's nasty, he's in your face every play for sixty-five plays, you know, and and so. I got a good taste of what the NFL is going to be like my first year. And I'm like, okay, if I got to go through this, you know, if I'm going to play guys like this every, every year and I got to play them twice a season, I got to get my stuff together. So after that first year, I was just like, okay, let me, I got to get my stuff together. I got to come back strong. I get, I, I got to, if they're going to be in my face, I got to get them out the way. I got to move them out the way. So really during my career, I, I would say another person that, that really, I got to play a lot. That was fun to play really competitive. Pat Peterson, man, strong, Fast, quick. He's like a different kind of cornerback. You haven't really seen guys built like him, man. Like a linebacker, running back, but can move, feel, you know, ridiculous. Do you ever stop and think? I mean, you had 1,964 yards that one season in 2012. No receiver has ever gotten 2,000. I mean, you needed just 36 more. How many? How many times do you replay that season and say, where could I have picked up 36 yards? I don't, I don't, I don't replay it because I know, I know for a fact that I probably had like, I don't know how many drops I had that season, but I know there's probably 35, 36 yards in there I could have had. I know, I know it for a fact. I know 2000 could have been had. I know it's possible. I was just like, oh man, just, and then in the last game, we only went in that last game, I think I only went for like 60 something yards, something week, you know? So I was just like, we could have, we didn't get it. It was, yeah, it was disappointing. <laughs> were you hey, real, go ahead. I mean, in the last game when we knew we were, yeah, I wanted to get it. I mean, we had already broke the record. I guess we only had one more game left. So I was like, hey, let's go get it. But, you know, came up short. Jim, you know, you know, hey, here's how nice Calvin is. He wants to blame two holding calls and another call for negating, <laughs> for negating some catches. So he didn't get to 2,000, but he's taking the L saying he dropped some balls because you know it's true. <laughs> Look, I remember when, when we, we get into this controversy, controversy about what is a catch and what isn't a catch, and I think it was actually week – it may have been week one or week two um, one oh, season. I was a, yeah, I was a sports yeah. illustrator. I was out in Chicago covering the game. He went up and got it. And I'm like, that's a touchdown. And then they took it from him. And for me, that's where the whole controversy started. Because I'm like, that was a touchdown. Right, Calvin? Man, you caught it, right? It's probably about a three, one. I can count on my hand. Probably like three or four touchdowns that they, I got robbed of my, during my career. Yeah, that was the, that was one that hurt one the most. That, that yeah. Oof, yeah. Oof. Mm. Well, let's, let's, Man, let's go. Let's look right after that. Like, just nobody said anything. Like, just. Yeah, that was a touchdown. Yeah. So did Dez catch it? Did Dez catch it against Green Bay? Oh, mm. that was a catch, man. I can't. I, I can't honestly. I know what you're talking about. I just can't visualize the very end of it right there. I got to see it. But if I saw it right now, I, I, when I'm watching the games, I can be like, oh yeah, that's that's not catch. Oh, that's good. I'm always right. I'm, I should be the guy to call for replay. You know, what's the dude's name? The when the referees are there. Alvin Ron. I'm like, I'm always, I'm 100% correct. I'm telling you. <laughs> Kevin, how much do you watch games? How often? How I regular? Watch, I mean, I'm, whatever I get here in Detroit, obviously the Lions game, but um, whatever, whatever, whatever other game I get, I'm watching. Yeah. Well, let's talk about this. Let's let's get to the meat of this because everyone wants to know here from you again why you walked away from the game. Because when you left your last season, I think you set a record for most receiving yards in a season in your final season. And then you walked away, still dominant, 
um, a member of the all-decade team of the 2010s. As I say, three-time all-pro first team, six-time pro bowler in nine seasons. What led you to walk away? Yeah, I'll tell you, I started here after my eighth season, just dealing with a lot of ankle, lower body injuries and all the running that I'm doing. I went home after that after that season. I told my dad, I tell the story all the time. I was like, man, I don't think I could do it anymore. Like the body, it's not fun anymore. Just the pain, just out here running all the time. I just can't do it. You know, it's just, it's taking its toll. It, it, it sucked all the, the energy, you know, out of me, out of the life, not the life out of the game, because the game is always going to be there. The game is always going to be energized. The game is always going to be fun. But for me, you know, what it's doing to my body, you know, I just couldn't put out the same product. I was feeling that I was putting out for all those years before. So sat there on the couch. I was like, man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do it again. And he's like, well, he sat there and he said, well, you think you got it? You, think, you really think you can't do it one more time? And and I sat there and I paused and I thought about it. And as I was thinking about it, he was like, since you're thinking about it, you can do it one more time. You know, so that's why I came back for the ninth season, knowing from the very beginning that it was going to be my last. But even during that season, I was there's games where I was just like, it's never before that 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 lad that final season where I was like at, out there pregame stretching getting warmed up like I shouldn't be out here <laughs> like I'm not feeling it like I am not feeling it and there's a couple of games like that and that wasn't all games there's a couple of games like that where it just couldn't get the body just to feeling right like it would like it usually does before the game and it was just I just just it's 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 not demoralizing but it's just you know that you know like, <clears throat> what I told myself at the very beginning was that when I can't put that same product out there, I'm done. Do you so, regret playing that last season? No. I mean, I dealt with the pain. I, 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 I'm i all right right now. I deal with stuff if I'm like, you know, I snowboard a lot. So if I, I don't really fall. But if I'm out there, like, when I'm doing my camps, for instance, and I'm doing the drills for the kids, literally, like, you know, next day, next day after the game, you wake up in the morning, you know, you 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 you're pulling yourself across the across the floor. You know, that's, that's how I feel like. Couple hours later, after dealing after playing with the kids, showing them the drills, I'm like, nah. People asking me like a year after I'm done playing, I'm doing these drills. I'm like, dude, I can't even. I'm out here at the camp, and I'm about. To, I need a cart. Like, <laughs> I'm trying to stay still so the kids don't see me living around the field. You know. <laughs> okay, wait, real quick. Hold up. Are there any other six five black snowboarders out there where you are doing your thing? Bro, it's it like it's, I'm I'm very easy to spot, you know. Probably <laughs> there's tall folks out there, but like I'm out there having a good time. I'm and I'm getting my jumps in and all that stuff, you know. Just trying to, you know, having a good time. I love being on the mountain. I when I retired, my wife, you know, she she told me like, let's go skiing. I'm like, man, I'm from Georgia. We don't do nothing on ice. <laughs> she was like, come on, you have fun. She got me skiing. I skied for a year and a half. I started out seeing all the snowboards. I'm like, that was cool. I always wanted to do that because I skateboarded when I was a kid and I took it up and, you know, I ate it for the first couple of days. But now I've been snowboarding for three years now. And, you know, I'd like to say um, what's killing me is coronavirus. You know, God bless everybody who's, who's had troubles and struggles with their families and stuff. But, you know, I haven't been out west at all this year, but, you know, it's all good. I'm not traveling like that. Right now. I want to kind of go back to what Jim was just talking about when, when you ended it, because there's always, you know, the conversation about you and ownership and, you know, the, the disputes going on right there. Yeah. So just for clarity right here, was there any issue there or was it 100 percent health related? You were tapped out. Oh, no, it wasn't uh, any issue with ownership because I didn't like I said, I didn't tell anybody um, going into the season. Only people I told were my receivers 
in the um in, in my group i was like yeah because i um you know rest in peace kobe you know he had announced he was gonna retire that year and i was like man i'm out of here like kobe i'm about to go retire i'm done you know and guys was like man shut up whatever and then at the end of the season it's like oh shoot cj was, was dead serious all that time <laughs> no 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 this no 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 problems with ownership until after the fact you know yeah, that's the thing I, I wonder about. I know you said that when someone takes money back from you, it's hard to have a relationship like that. But I wonder if if during this Hall of Fame process, has it helped at all to try and mend that fence or in some way the two sides come together? You know, it hasn't really been too much communication. Um, you know, I mean, we talk about it every time I go on on, on, on any kind of, you know, any anything uh public you know i get i get asked the question it's simple you know it's like you know yeah um I, it's hard for me to do anything for anyone that's that takes anything from me you know so i mean i feel like after the things i've done for the organization that shouldn't even been a been a thought honestly you know and i would have happily been there to do you know fulfill my duty to you know participate and and give back to the to the to the to the receivers or however just the just the organization in, in a whole and and you know if that happens, of course, I, I'll be back. I'm not saying I'm 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 here. To, I'm I'm transactional, but in this particular situation, you know, I love football. I still, you know, I, I give back to to football in, in in any way I can, whether it's through my camps or going to see different teams in the NFL, college, what have you, you know. But to be able to do it here at home and, and fans love me. I love the fans here, you know. But I can't, I can't, I would not step foot into a building. You know that you know after I've done so much in there because that, that's strong. I mean, it, straight up strong emotionally, but business wise, no, it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, that's the thing that gets me is that it 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 you can play the short game or the long game in these situations, and an organization has to understand if a player walks away because his body, he's given everything and his body just isn't right. That's different from somebody sort of shirking their responsibility or whatever, um, that sort of thing, and. It was it was always disappointing I me, mean, not just your situation, the Lions situation, either with you or with Barry back in the day, but any organization where a face of the franchise, one of the all time greats, when it doesn't end right, you know, and that's the unfortunate part. And I think that's why I tell young guys when they come in, look, it may be a honeymoon when you get there, but never forget this is a business. Right. At the end of the day, it is a business. And, and the minute they feel you can't perform, you're out. So um, anyway, I'm hoping. I can say selfishly, even though it doesn't affect me, I'm hoping one day it, it resolves itself in the two of you, the two sides. Yeah. Together. I just want to tell you about one of your, you know, your former teammates, cause he's still there and he's kind of going through it. That's Matthew Stafford. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what was, what's it like to see mm -hmm. him? Cause I mean, he, his body, I mean, he's getting banged up. He's getting injured more and more, but he still continues mm -hmm. to gut it. He still continues to do it. And he still keeps on competing despite the lack of wins, the coaching turnover, um, the lack of overall success. I mean, what can you say about his journey, how good of a player he was, and when you see him now, what he's going through? Yeah, man, it was great playing with him. You know, he's a he's a gamer. He's a tough kid, man. He took a lot of – he had injuries when he first started. And, you know, and that, that was interesting to see how he was going to bounce back from that from the very beginning. You know, he came in, he got hurt, he missed a lot of time, but, you know, came back, he got into action, he got hurt again. You know, he missed more time, but he was able to come back and be that gunslinger that he was that he was brought into Detroit to be. And uh, it's just unfortunate. You know, there's some time there. I feel like honestly, we're you know, we had, like a phenomenal team. You know, I just wish that you know we would have found some ways to make that that squad go to make it work or build around it. But um, you know, 
yeah, I look forward to him, honestly. You know, if usually a new coach wants to bring in, you know, start from fresh and draft a new quarterback and whatnot. So if he gets a shot, hey, go back to Texas and, and get some work in over there, you know, or just find somewhere where, you know, he can get a good squad here at the end and, uh, you know, have a chance. I'm curious, at what point does a player of your ability start thinking about the Hall of Fame? Not when y'all start mentioning it. <laughs> really? When y'all start mentioning it. <laughs> Really, I mean, but but when you're playing, it's not something that that a player thinks about. No, I mean, you might have coaches say it, you know, in the meetings or or, or this and that. But other than that, I mean, while you're playing, that's not even a thought, you know. Um, honestly, for me, you know, I just I'm trying to think. Like the only time I thought about it is when when Coach Caldwell said it, might say something in the meeting, or 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 Sean Jay, Sean Jefferson might have said something. But for me, you know, it's just a daily grind. You know, put one, put my head down, focus on what I got to do. What's my goals for today? Get it done. You know, go rest up, recuperate, do it again. But now, but now you're there. I mean, it, the yeah. boat is going to be on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I can't help but think about it because I'm getting hounded by people. Like, do you know something? Do you know, something? I'm like, I, I'm like, I don't, I don't know nothing unless they call me. They don't call me. No, I don't know. <laughs> no, knock, knock. You want the knock? <laughs> I'm like, man, if I if I know something, I'll let y'all know. Like, goodness gracious. <laughs> well, hell, we, we haven't even had the vote yet, so how could you know something? That's what I'm saying. Like, they asked me, I don't know how, like, honestly, you know, I, I, I watch the Super Bowl usually, but I'll probably catch it, like, late, like, right after it starts. And I'm, I believe they announced the, the, um, and the new, the new um, team going in at the beginning or something right there. The night before. The night before. Yeah. Okay, so so I, that's that's I was I'm sitting here thinking like this isn't going to go down to like this summer, you know, right before they do the Hall of Fame game or something like that. That's just me not being aware of uh, of history there. That's all that is. No, no, it's, <laughs> it, no. You're right. You're right. You're, you're right. But it's just the COVID that changed everything. Because normally we would be in the host city. We would all meet in a room that Saturday before the game and have the discussion, and, and the class would be picked. But because of COVID, everything has to be done virtually. And so they're starting it earlier this year process. But normally you would be right. That's the way it would go down. Oh. It's just different this year. Yeah. But I just wonder, any nerves? I mean, I can't help it. You know, I mean, honestly, you know, for me, I mean, I, I put the work in. The work that's out there is out, it's out there for the masses to see. I mean, I did my thing. I feel like I was one of the best in the game. I'm never going to say I was the best because I looked up to the likes of Randy Moss to the T.O.'s, Jerry, and just wanted to take those things and put it all into one package, you know, the Marvin Harris's, and do all those things great. You know, I wanted to try to put it all in one package and do it to the best of my ability. And I felt like I, I did a pretty good job of that. <clears throat> I mean, coming in, my goal was to, you know, if I figured if I, I was like, I have a 1,000 yards a year, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm able to play like, you know, um, you know, almost a decade, you know, I'll be all right. I'll be able to leave my footprint, you know, in the game. And, you know, I think I was able to do that for sure. Do you do you wonder? I mean, you played nine seasons. Mm -hmm. Why is that not enough? Do do you ask your, ask that question when people say he didn't play long enough or he, his career was short? Yeah, I'm, I'm like they, they crazy. If you got, I was in Detroit. <laughs> I went on sixteen, but I was thinking we didn't know how long we wanted to play after the second year, man. All the time, hey, I'm lucky to make it that long. <laughs> I was fortunate to have a great team around me, man. They, they, they put some great teams. They, they gave us, you know, we started to win a little bit, man. You know, it wasn't easy. 
you know, in and in and on 16 in Green Bay, you know, playing Green Bay in the cold every year and in, in week 17, you know, that wasn't easy. But um, you know, I think that that same team, though, a lot of those guys helped us get to the next level. You know, it was like we can't be here no more. You know, even though it wasn't pretty next year, we went two and fourteen next year. But from that point on, I felt like we we're on the up and up, and and then and then I left. That you know, that's curious you say that because I did want to ask you about that. Over that two year period, you guys were two and thirty, which was the worst mark in league history at that time. Prior to what Cleveland did, going, you know, with that one win there. Um, what toll does that take on a player? That that sort of constant. What you didn't mention is my first year we started like seven and one maybe, but we ended like one and seven, and then we went on sixteen, and then we went two and four. Oh, wow. Like yeah, it was it's a little bit more. Yeah, that was this. I mean, losing is, is is tough, man. I mean, I ain't never won a championship, I guess, in college or nothing like that. But we won. We won football games. We were very competitive, and not that we weren't competitive, but not winning games, not being able to protect your home field, and it's just like the the uh, just that kind of zaps you too. You know, I, I'm not saying that if I was um, um, winning championships that I wouldn't have played like, like 12 years, but I'm not saying that I wouldn't either. You know, I, I'm, I can't say it, you know, right. You know, but you know, that, that, that definitely has an effect. I just want to ask you about Jim Caldwell. I mean, he, he had success there. You know, we know he's a really fantastic football coach and yep. he's not getting, he's not even really getting a sniff anymore. Um, what was it like playing for Jim Caldwell? And what's it like seeing him and some other, especially black coaches, not get opportunities, you know, each each hiring cycle? That's ridiculous. I mean, that's why they 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 made the make that look that rule in the league. There was the the Rooney the Rooney rule, right? Yeah, but obviously they, they, I don't know, I'm not so sure. I mean, obviously they probably they're following it to just to, you know, just so much just skimming shirking their real responsibilities because i mean you got a league consisting of i don't know 70 plus percent players are african-american you know and not to have hardly any african-american coaches just baffling to me you know but jim caldwell in specific uh what a man what a coach uh one of my uh favorite coaches i've had head coaches uh, i think he might have been the only black head coach that i had um he's a man of man of god you know um the guys fell in line because I mean, just the way that he that he approached our team, approached each person, uh, it, was, it was the same. It was consistent, you know. He, he didn't curse at the team, you know, and now that, that, that permeated through the team. You know how we conducted ourselves is very professional, you know, during those times. You know, I mean, I, I I really think that he helped every person on that team grow as a man, you know. So when you have coaches like that, you know. I mean, those are the irreplaceable kind of guys. I mentioned my guy, Sean Jay, because, I mean, he was that same kind of guy as well. You know, um, every season he asks, he's going to ask you, you know, uh, do you want to be great this year? And I'm like, yeah, of course. You know, do you want to be great this year? I'm like, yes. And he's like, well, I'm going to coach you like you want to be great. And I'll tell you, he coached you. He coached you just like that. He gave you his all. And all he respected was – all he expected was the respect that you are going to um, give your all in return. And um, like I say, all those things, all that translated on the field. We got to see it on Sunday. Well, unfortunately, in, 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 uh, I, guess I guess I could say in a, in a more individual capacity because it didn't relate to – it didn't uh, turn into wins all the time. You know what was amazing to me about what you accomplished, Calvin, was that during your nine seasons – you had only one season where you had another thousand yard receiver to compliment you on your club. You had only one season where you had a thousand yard rusher. So it's not like there were other parts to take that pressure off of you. I mean, you were the focal point 
and yet you still put up those kind of numbers. That to me, that that's a sign of greatness, and um, it just shows what you were able to do. Because you know, I know when we get in that room, part of the discussion will be, well, you know, Reggie had Marvin, um, Tori had Isaac, they both had um, Hall of Fame quarterbacks, you know, and Calvin had again one season where he had a thousand yard receiver opposite him and only one season where he had a thousand yard rusher. Um, I just curious when you, when you went into every game, every Sunday, did you go in expecting that you were going to get doubled and tripled and special coverages? Oh yeah. We knew it. We knew that they'll sprinkle in some one-on-one, maybe on the first down, you know, when they don't, they don't anticipate us throwing the ball, but if it's third down, you know, I got cloud coverage. I have two man. That's what they love to play. So they keep that man on top and inside of me, you know, and so the only, the quarterback had to make the perfect throw. And fortunately I had Matt where he could put those throws on the outside out there, you know, just like that, you know, so, um, Every every play, every game, I talk to the coordinators after the game or ones that I've played against, it's like, yeah, if we knew if we stopped you, it's a wrap. Y'all didn't have a chance. So, I mean, yeah, we knew it, you know, but it was it was great to have, you know, some help when we when we did, for sure. We got red, we had the best, a couple of them guys, yeah. Hold up, hold up. You two just crushed my dude, Nate Burleson. How are you guys going to do that to Nate? It ain't, it ain't. Nate, Nate was a big help for us. They helped for like five years, man. <laughs> they been man. I, I, and I'm just having fun. He loves you, man. Nate, I, Nate does not speak about any player the way he speaks about you. Nate was one of the guys, man, on the team that takes everybody into his house. You know, all the receivers. We hung out at Nate's house every, like, weekend. That was, like, probably one of my favorite years because, you know, we all took the guys. Uh, instead of going to the Pro Bowl, I took the guys to Hawaii, and we all just kicked it. We we tailgated at the Pro Bowl. People was like, what the heck are you doing here? Like, you supposed to be over there, you know? <laughs> I'm like, nah, I'm vibing, man, vibing with the guys. That's what it was all about. So those years, Nate, Nate truly is a remarkable guy, man. He brings everybody together. Love the guy. What about him just being the broadcast superstar that he is? I, I I I didn't I didn't see him doing that, but it doesn't it doesn't surprise me one bit. He, he's the guy for the job. I mean, I might see him on you might see him on the real news <laughs> for real. <laughs> I want you know I want our listeners to be able to hear what guys who had to play against Calvin have to say about him. Just a few, otherwise we'd be here all day. <laughs> so I, I want this to be out in the public arena as opposed to just in the room. On, yeah. on that day. So let's talk Rondé Barber here. Among the things he said, I will always remember him as one of the only receivers for, for whom we had to tweak our game plans because none of us realistically could manage him alone. Go to Richard Sherman, who, you know, is going to be in the hall one day, said Calvin deserves to be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame because he's a once-in-a-lifetime generational talent he did some of the most unbelievable things that I've seen on a football field. He was able to do it in a short amount of time. And to me, this speaks to what all of them have to say, if we're going to paraphrase it. It was from Akeem Tlaib who said, no one has the total package. And he did. He said, I remember knowing what he was going to do and still not being able to stop it because of his attributes. Now, if that ain't a Hall of Fame player, <laughs> I need to give up my vote. Because <laughs> I'm never gonna know what one is. So that's pretty cool, man. That's the coolest thing is just to hear from your peers, man. And then you like to hear things you never heard before, like those, man. Uh that's just the guys that you go against. And you know, I just wish I had a chance to play against the guys like a Richard Sherman more, 
You know, uh, obviously I played against Pat P a lot, but some of those great guys, man, it's, it's just awesome just to hear that from that from those from their perspective. You know, because you know we know what tremendous athletes and players they've been for their team. So, kudos. That's what's up. People talk about first ballot guys, Calvin. Does that matter to you? Man, we're here now. I, I mean, of course, it'll be. It'll feel like a, a slight, I guess, if, if you don't get in. You know, the first time and you're up there, you're finalist. You know, of course, I, mean, I can't say that it wouldn't, but because we're human, we're emotional. You know, but uh, you know I mean, I, it'll happen. I feel I confidently feel like it'll happen. But uh, will it happen first time? That'd be awesome. Get it out the way. Not why not. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, I well look, I'm I'm there's no question which way I'm voting. So I, I try and be as transparent as possible. I tell people every year when they ask after it's over, when, who did you vote for, even though it's a secret vote, because I believe as a journalist, we always ask for transparency. And so therefore we should give it back in return. So uh, there won't be any secret from from my end. But um again, I just want to say when I look at these numbers and I look at what you accomplished, I I don't understand this whole didn't play long enough thing. I really don't. I mean, nine seasons to me, that's, that's a lifetime in the NFL, man, particularly to play at such an elite level. So yeah, when you walked away, did you ever give any thought that maybe somehow that would impact your Hall of Fame candidacy talk that maybe you didn't play long enough? There was talk, you know, but I was like, hey, I know what I did. I know how I did it. In the in the manner that I did, in, in the you know the uber professional manner that I did it, and at the pace that I did it, you know. So if that's not worthy, then I mean, I know the why. If it's not worthy, it's what it is. You know, <laughs> it is what it is. Here, here. Well, Calvin, look, you're 35 years old. You got a lot of life left to live. The business path that you're on, um, the the trails that you continue to blaze off the field. I think that's fantastic. What you've done. On the field, uh, I think Jim and I hope to see you in Canton a little bit later this summer when uh, when this COVID lifts. But we just can't thank you, you know, enough for taking the time to join us here on the Hudland Flow. Again, we know you don't do a lot of this stuff, and this was an absolute blast. I had a great time talking to y'all, man. This is cool. I always love talking to football guys. Thank you for the history. Thank you for you know telling me um, what my peers are saying. Like I said, that that that's a, that was a treat. That was it. Really was. No, man. Well, we we appreciate you letting us see true greatness. So thank you. Thank you. Like I say to I say to Charles and I say to Steve Smith Sr. and others, I know a Hall of Famer this way for me. If if my cheap ass is gonna dig in my pocket and pull out money to pay to see him play, he's a Hall of Famer. Thanks, Jeff. Steve, you know, I, I'm glad we had a chance to get Calvin on because I think that his candidacy is going to be one of the more interesting discussions. Uh, when the voters all get together. And really for me, I mean, I mean, I'm being as honest as I can be and as transparent as I can be. I don't understand it from the standpoint, nine years to me is a lifetime in the NFL. Correct. And to do it better than anyone did it during those nine years, I, I, I don't get why somehow, what it reminds me of is this, when people talk about long, um, um, longevity and whatnot. I remember having this discussion with uh, in Terrell Davis candidacy and people were like, oh, he didn't play long enough that and the other. And I said, look at his postseason numbers. And I said, in his short time, he accomplished more than Emmitt Smith, um, Eric Dickerson, um, 
Thurman Thomas, you pick any of these running backs that are in the Hall of Fame. He accomplished more than any of those people in, le- in, in half the time as it relates to Emmitt Smith. Calvin Johnson, in my mind, um, is an easy first ballot Hall of Famer. And I don't have any hesitation about saying that. I, I don't understand why, why nine years is too short anyway. We talk about the average lifespan of NFL players, three and a half years. Well, he's, he's all but tripled that. And look at how many people, nine years? That's a long time. They may see that he retired at 30, but he came out of college early. I mean, it's just, a, you know, it, it is what it is. But Jim also, I mean, we talked about it. He was it. Teams could double and triple him. I mean, it wasn't like they had four other cats like they, or played schemes necessarily where they had to you know constantly be on alert he was getting double and triple teams all the time and he was still doing it so i don't think it's a tough discussion and that's no slight to reggie or tory or any of the other finalists i mean calvin was that dude dbs opposing coaches everybody will tell you that calvin was that dude jim and before we get out of here i want to i want to um move on to something real quick and this is personal to us as as howard university Graduates, there was a great video that Fox Sports put out this week of our fellow Howard alum, mm-hmm. Gus Johnson. Um, and Gus is going back to Bird Gymnasium to cover Notre Dame, to cover a Notre Dame Howard basketball game. Of course, Howard had McCourt Maker, one of the top recruits in the country. Uh, Go plus par- probably part of the reason why this game is being broadcast on Fox Sports. But, you know, Gus broke down about, uh, you know, going back to Howard and calling the game and how when he used to call games there at Bird Gymnasium, there was a plug outlet. At the gymnasium with his name on it, Gus's plug, that's still there. Ed Hill, the, the former SID there, longtime SID, who helped both of us along with our career, it's still there. And, you know, it really, it just means everything, you know. And when I saw that, I'm like, man, you know, I'm sure if we went back, we went back and did the huddle and flow from Howard. I mean, so, you know, we, we'd be feeling it a little bit. You know, it's, um, I, I just love seeing Gus do it, especially because Gus was a year behind me. Me and Stan Verrett, who's now at ESPN, and and we just saw his grind was like so next level. We thought ours was was intense, and his was so next level, man. No, I, I look. We we all have talked about what Howard University meant to us in terms of our de- our development as professionals and as men. So when I saw that clip of Gus, like you and and everyone else that I know who went to Howard, particularly in our field, um. You know, it, it, it touched a nerve. So, oh, it's just, you know, it's just, it was just a special time, a special place. Um, and it was funny because Ed Hill actually texted me uh, I, the day after I saw it. And someone posted a picture of a bunch of us at an event where right. Stan spoke and made made a donation to, um, to the department. And... Uh, and typical Ed with his humor, you know, he, he said, basically, you should be honored to share the same space with me, you know, and that's it. That's how that's how he was, you know, but but anyone who knows him knows he was always so giving when it came to us. So, um, no, I, some people might not have understood the emotion that, that Gus showed, but I understood it. And it just like I say, the fact that I would say. You know, today, having graduated in 1986 to say that if given the choice to do it all over again, would I? I wouldn't even hesitate. The answer is yes. I'd be back there in a heartbeat. And one of our fellow alumni will also be sworn as the vice president of the United States on Wednesday. A proud moment for the capstone, the Mecca, the only HU, the HBCU. 
Howard University. All right, Jim, let's go ahead and shut it down. Uh, but on another note, let's see some black coaches at some point in this league. Let's 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 go. Let, let's stop with the old leather helmet treatment of, of where this league has become when it comes to leadership, because we aren't we aren't going to ease up. You try and take emotion out of the out of your reporting, and this one's just hard, man, because it's not like this is one year. This is like the fourth consecutive year mm-hmm. where where it's like, you know, it, it almost feels like we have to beg for an opportunity. And and that's just ridiculous. These men have earned the opportunity or the right to have an opportunity. And look, I think in the previous three years, there were what, three black head coaches hired, I think, out of 20 openings, something like that. I'm just doing it off the top of my head. So if there are none this year, or even if there is one, that means basically it would be four out of the last 27 openings. That's ridiculous. It's just it's just so offensive. And everyone has an excuse for why it is or, or can mm-hmm. explain why it happens. And that's what frustrates me. Like, we can make all the excuses we want, but I think it's time for people to be intentional. If this matters, if this is important, it's time to make it intentional. And it's time to say that over a five-year period, if you know, we have another 25 openings, um, X number, you know, will have to be filled by diverse candidates, something. Because if you don't make it intentional right now, it looks like nothing is going to change. And I'm sorry to some degree to have to, to have to sound this way, but man, I wish everyone out there could hear the voices of these coaches who call Steve and I. I just wish you could. Yeah, it's it's. And then it, I think it, you'd feel a little differently. And, and Jim, let, let's also bring up this quick point before we get out of here. Look at the saluting that happened with the Rams, the Niners. I forget about how, hey, for them losing a person of color. They're getting two draft picks. So now these teams again, hey, you're you're doing you're doing what's right. So now the team that's looted, you're getting two draft picks. Okay, we get it. We get it. But just that, that just goes to show you again, it's not a league issue. The league is doing everything it can to incentivize teams to develop people, which teams are doing to push people. But then when it comes time to uh, you know, to to pull the lever, folks just they just can't find it in their souls. They just can't find it in their souls. Look, I've said this before and I'll say it again. If you have to incentivize a process for people to do the right thing, it's already the wrong thing. And I'm never going to get off that. I don't care what anyone says. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So having said that, having having gotten a few things off my chest, again, Steve and I just want to thank you all for listening, for subscribing, for leaving us comments. Um, and please continue to do so. Let us know what you want to hear, the topics you want to address, the people you'd like to hear from. That way we can give you more of what you're funking for. We also want to thank Intuit for jumping on board the Huddle and Flow podcast. Remember, Intuit is the proud makers of TurboTax, QuickBooks, and Mint. For Jim Trotter, our producer Thomas Warren, on the ones and twos, I'm Steve Weich. We are the Howard Mob. And we are out. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, 
your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now.